welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, that shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We know that rain and snow returns back up, but it doesn't return until it's accomplished its purpose, to make the fatness of the earth come out with food. God says, my word will return, but it won't return without accomplishing my purpose. I've sent it. That's why the word of God is pictured as rain, both being sent by God for a purpose. And just as the rain doesn't return without accomplishing its purpose, the word of God doesn't either. That's why it's important for us. Remember the importance of declaring the word of God, because when we do, God is sending his word for a purpose, and he tells us, I guarantee you that my word will be successful in accomplishing my purpose. But just as there is a connection between the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and that the dew causes the earth to bring forth its fatness in the form of corn and wine, there's a connection between the word of God and the spirit of God. And that connection is seen in John 6, 63. It's the spirit that quickeneth, that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit, their life. See, it's the dew and the rain that cause the seed to make the fruit. See, the word of God is called the seed in the parable of the sower and the seed. It's clearly said that in Luke 8, 11. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. But without water, the seed is lifeless. And with water, the seed becomes alive. That's why the Spirit of God is like the water. Because without the Spirit of God, the book is lifeless. But just like the water makes the seed to become alive and grow, so the Spirit of God makes the Bible to become alive in us and grow. So you said it's the Spirit that quickens. The Spirit gives life. Flesh profits nothing. The words I speak can do. Spirit, life. So, When Isaac is blessing here, we have to keep in mind that forget about the fact that he's in stubborn rebellion against God. He is still a prophet of God, and he is speaking truth. Although Isaac has one thing in his mind when he makes this statement, God has arranged it that Isaac is saying things that have applications that he's not even aware of. See, that's what the prophets are talked about in Peter. He said, they foretold things that they wanted to know what they were saying. They wanted to know what it was, but they didn't know. So we see this in the case, and very interesting in John 11, 47 through 53, which is really an emergency meeting where it says, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. The Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. That's the emergency. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, you know nothing at all. Sounds like a very good meeting. (laughs) Very high respect by the part of the high high priest to all of his attendees. He just told them, he says, you're a bunch of imbeciles. Apart from that, we have a very nice meeting. You know nothing at all. 
nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Not for that nation also, but that he also should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. See, there was a situation. They were in the situation room, you know. It's an emergency meeting. The emergency meeting. Look, Jesus has done so many miracles. Jewish people, by droves, are becoming more and more devoted followers of him. They're calling him the king. They're calling him our king. Do you know what this, this is getting the attention of the Romans? This is a crisis. We need this meeting. If the Romans see that a new king of the Jews has come, then they'll say, this is the ultimate rebellion. They'll come in. They'll destroy all the Jews. And we priests will lose our position here. So the goal of this meeting that I now call to order (laughs) is to keep our high-paid, prestigious positions as rulers over the people and to stop this danger of this new emerging king, because not only is it putting our positions in danger, but we're talking about the survival of the whole Jewish people here. So these Jewish leaders are having their emergency meeting, and it's pretty heated, as we saw. Caiaphas says, you know, you know nothing at all. And so what we can see from his statement, Caiaphas is angry. He is angry over it all. He has just insulted all the people at the meeting by saying that they don't know anything. And Caiaphas explains that all the Jewish people are in danger of perishing unless Jesus dies. And Caiaphas, the high priest, says that someone has to die. Either all the Jewish people are going to die or one person, Jesus, is going to die. And he says it's better for the one person, Jesus, to die than that all the Jewish people don't die. And what's amazing about what he says is the word that he used in the Greek when he used the word apolumi, which has been translated perish. See, it's, he says in, in John eleven fifty, it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation apolume, perish not. That word that Caiaphas used for perish, apolume, is the same word that's used in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not apolume should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, without knowing it, without intending it, Caiaphas has just stated the gospel. He has just stated the gospel when he said in John eleven fifty, expedient for us that one man should die for the people, that the whole nation perish, apolume not. One man should die for the people, so the people should not perish. That's the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ should die for all the world, so that no one has to perish, but that whosoever believeth in him should not apolume, should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Caiaphas was not intending to state the gospel. He was angry, but, but, but he did. Why? Because Caiaphas was the high priest. He was still a prophet. And God used Caiaphas' anger his anger, and his selfish motives, and he used them because he was a prophet in that position to state the truth of the gospel prophetically. Without knowing it, Caiaphas is the high priest. He spoke true prophecy. Caiaphas was short-sighted in his anger, in his wrath, but what he said, God used to state a long-sighted true prophecy. 
God used the wrath of Caiaphas to praise him. As it says in Psalm 76.10, Surely the wrath of man, of Caiaphas, shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. See, it's the same with Isaac in this passage. Isaac is one angry man. He is angry with Jacob. He is angry with Rebekah for putting down his son Esau. And Isaac in his wrath and his selfishness is being short-sighted in his blessing to try to exalt Esau over Jacob. But without even knowing it, Isaac was speaking true prophecies, just like Caiaphas the priest. See, God used Isaac's wrath to praise God in Psalm 76.10. Surely the wrath of man, the wrath of Isaac, shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath thou shalt not restrain. See, these are true prophecies that Isaac has said there, and he's not aware of it. In verse 29, when Isaac says, let the people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee and cursed be everyone who curses thee, cursed blessed everyone that blesseth thee. See, like the high priest, Isaac's angry. You know, the high priest started off his speech in his anger in verse John eleven forty nine. You know nothing at all. He was just thinking about getting rid of Jesus, but he ended up giving the gospel. One man should die, verse 50, John eleven fifty. 50. For the people, whole nation perish not. That's what we're looking at in verse 29 here in Genesis. Isaac is venting his anger. The high priest was placed by God. He was in the position of the high priest. Therefore, God used him to prophesize. Even though the high priest was angry, he wasn't aware of what he was saying, God used that anger to state true prophecy. In the same way, Isaac was placed by God in the position of patriarch, prophet, and therefore God used Isaac to prophesize even though Isaac was angry and he was not aware that what he was saying, but Isaac's anger, see, God was using it to state true prophecy. See, Isaac thinks, and here's the way it works, angry. Isaac is saying, I love Esau, and Rebekah and God hate Esau. What Isaac was thinking was what Rebekah said to him that God said to her in Genesis 25, 23, when it says, the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So Isaac thinks in his anger, I hate what God told Rebekah. I'm going to use my prophetic blessing to reverse what God told Rebekah about Esau. See, Isaac understood that God had stated two prophecies to Rebekah about Esau, which were that Esau was going to serve Jacob and that Jacob was going to be stronger than Esau. And Isaac hated those two prophecies about Esau, and Isaac in his anger was determined to overturn, reverse God's two prophecies that which were against Esau. Because, you know, Esau serving Jacob and Jacob being stronger than Esau. So in verse 29, it's all about Isaac in his anger overturning what God and Rebekah wanted, which was to put down Esau. So Isaac in his anger is saying, I'll show you, Rebekah and God. I'll overturn the two prophecies of strength and service that are against Esau. I'll reverse them. So in verse 29, Isaac thinks he is prophetically blessing Esau, and he's taken the exact two points of prophecy that Esau was going to serve Jacob, and Jacob's going to be stronger than Esau, and Isaac in his anger thinks he's going to overturn him and, and make Esau stronger than Jacob, and Jacob to serve Esau. That's why in verse 29, he says, let people serve thee. When Isaac prophesied in verse 29, let people serve thee, Isaac is saying, God, 
I'm angry with you putting down my Esau, and I'll show you. You just watch me now. I'll reverse you, and I, as I make my let people serve the prophecy, meaning that Jacob will now serve. Jacob will now serve Esau. So there, God, what do you think about that, God? Okay. And, as, and, and then when he does this, he's saying, as for you, Rebecca, you favor my, you, you know, your Jacob over my Esau. I'll show you. I'll show you with my let people serve the prophecy. Your Jacob will now serve my Esau. So there, what do you think about that, Rebecca? Okay. See, in Isaac's mind, when he prophesied, let people serve thee, in verse 29, Isaac thought that he had just nullified the prophecy that God made to Rebekah in Genesis 25, 23, that the elder is going to serve the younger. And now Isaac is moving on to nullify the second prophecy God made to Rebekah in that verse, 25, 23, that Jacob should be stronger than Esau, see, because the prophecy was that Esau is going to be stronger than Jacob is going to turn it around. Isaac says, no, no. So he says in verse 29, let nations bow down to thee, be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. See, he thinks that he is prophetically blessing Esau and nullifying the prophecy that God made to Rebekah about Jacob being stronger than Esau. And he says, you know, nations should bow down. He's thinking Esau. And Esau should be over Jacob. That's what he's thinking. See, he's thinking, I'll show you. Rebekah's Jacob, you're going to bow down to my son, my Esau. And that's why Isaac said the rest in verse 29 about Esau being Lord and having his brothers bow down to him and cursing uh, you know, Esau's enemies and blessing Esau's friends. He says, so what he's saying in verse 29 is Isaac saying, God, I'm angry with you about putting my Esau down, and I'll show you. Just watch me. I'll reverse you with my bowing and being Lord over and cursing and blessing prophecy. Esau will now be stronger than Jacob. So there, God, what do you think about that, God? And as for you, Rebecca, you favor your Jacob over my Esau. I'll show you with my bowing and my being Lord over and cursing and blessing prophecy. My Esau will now be stronger than your Jacob. So there, what do you think about that, Rebecca? See, in Isaac's mind, when he does this prophesying of bowing and being Lord over and cursing and blessing, verse 29, Isaac's thinking he's just nullified the second prophecy that God made to Rebecca in Genesis 25, 23, that the younger is going to be stronger than the elder. And see how angry, I mean, Isaac is. To see how angry Isaac is, how does Isaac in his prophecy refer to Jacob in verse 29, Irene? There you got it. <laughs> you got it, okay, mother's son. What do you mean mother's son? Isn't Jacob his son? Why do you call mother, your mother's son? Isn't it his son? Why does Isaac call his son Jacob one of his mother's sons? Because he's an, he's an angry man. He is angry, and Isaac has never accepted Jacob as his son, as we saw. Isaac never called Jacob his son. He called Esau his son nine times in this chapter. Rebekah never called Esau her son. She repeatedly called Jacob her son. In verse 29, when Isaac called Jacob his mother's son, he's revealing to us that Isaac loves Esau and only calls Esau his son because Isaac hates Jacob. Isaac despises Jacob. Isaac refuses to call Jacob his son. 
And Rebecca loves Jacob and only calls Jacob her son. And Jacob hates and despises Esau. And Rebecca refuses to call Esau her son. That's why Isaac calls Jacob in verse 29, Rebecca's son. Rebecca is hearing all this. She's hearing all this when, when her husband calls Jacob her son. That must have made her happy, huh? <laughs> that lit her fire. And this is the one time when it was really good for Isaac to be blind, <laughs> to not see that anger in her eyes, that flash when he called Jacob, my son. This is a nice, happy home, isn't it? It's a home, sweet home. Isn't it nice, this home? You know, just really nice. It's like you open the door to this home. It's so wonderful. You'd rather walk into a den of lions. Isaac loves Esau. He hates and despises his son, Jacob. Rebecca loves her son, Jacob. She hates and despises her son, Esau. Where does God stand in this? God's neutral. He says, I love everybody. Is that how God looks at it? Malachi 1, 2 through 3. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. Romans 9, 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Rebecca was on God's page. So we've seen the anger, the wrath behind Isaac's prophecy is that he is short-sighted. He thinks he's reversing all of God's prophecies that God told Rebekah. And Isaac thinks he's putting Esau up and putting Jacob down. But, Psalm 76.10, the wrath of man, the wrath of Isaac shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. So how was Isaac's wrath now praising God? Isaac's wrath was now praising God because without knowing it, Isaac has just made tremendous true prophecies, just like Caiaphas. Isaac has, without knowing it, made prophecies about an offspring of Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Caiaphas was blind. He could not see or understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. Isaac was literally blind, but he couldn't see or understand that Jacob was in front of him. See, Isaac was blind. He could not see or understand that what he said in his prophetic prophecy was not true of Esau, wasn't even true of Jacob, but it was an offspring. He was blind. He couldn't understand that what he said in his prophetic blessing was never going to be true for Jacob, but it was going to be true for the offspring of Jacob, who was the Lord Jesus Christ. That prophecy was true. That's why he, the Lord Jesus, is called he that shall come out of Jacob. In Numbers 24, 19, out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion. When Isaac prophesies in verse 29, let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee, that's a prophecy about the Gentiles serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this part of the blessing, Isaac is praying that people and nations will serve him and bow down to him, and that's what happens in Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight. 28. The kingdom is the Lord's. He's the governor among the nations. You know, the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, used that term, among the nations. He wrote a book. He says, can we just have an Israel, a nation, and we'll just call it a place among the nations? The Lord Jesus Christ is called the governor among the nations. In Isaiah 45, 23 through 25, God says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow. That's Jehovah Jesus. Every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness. 
See, Isaac says, nations shall bow down to thee. In Philippians 2.10, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth. Well, who are these people that, are, that Isaac's referring to in verse 29 that are going to serve, that are going to bow? We get an insight when we look at the Hebrew word that Isaac used for nations. You know, the normal word for nations is goy or goyim, you know, nations. That's not the word that's used here in verse 29. It's interesting because it's not that word, it's the word loom. Now, loom, what makes that word interesting, loom, it's an unusual year, word to use for nations or people. It's, that's the word that's used in Psalm 2.1, where it says, why do the heathen rage and the people, loom, not ami, not that word, but the people, loom, imagine a vain thing. See, in Psalm 2, what you have is an organized rebellion of people and nations against God and against the Lord Jesus Christ, where they say, we're not going to be in submission anymore. That's it. And they're a group, and they're all in agreement, and they're called le'om. And that's the same word that Isaac used in verse 29 when he said, let the nations, or the le'om, bow to thee. See, who will they bow down to? He that came out of Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in Psalm 2.9, it says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So let people serve thee, and nations, let Om bow down to thee, covers the first group who will serve and bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ, who are the Gentiles that rebel against the Lord. But that there's a transition now to another group in Isaac's prophecy who are called my brethren, or, or, or thy brethren, or, and thy mother's sons. And see, be Lord over thy, verse 29, be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. As a matter of fact, when it says in that verse, let thy mother's sons bow down to thee, that's referring, and thy brethren, that's referring to the Jewish people. See, they are the mother's sons bowing down, bowing down to the offspring of Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 110, verse 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness. And Romans eleven twenty six. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And we see all this portrayed in the life of Joseph as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph starts off in, in his life as a young man in Genesis thirty seven ten, and he makes this announcement to his parents and his brethren that they're all going to bow down to him. That was received very well in the family, as a matter of fact. And so then, time went on from chapter 37, 10, and it got to finally chapter 41, 43, where we read about Joseph. He made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. See, that's the first group of people. Bow the knee. Nations shall bow down to thee. That's the nation of Egypt. Then we get to the next chapter, chapter 42, verse 6. It says, Joseph was the governor over the land, and it was he that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. So there's the second group. See, Paul is the forerunner of the Jewish people, or the mother's sons, because he bows to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that in Ephesians 3.14 when he says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the last prophetic prophecy here that we have is a general statement for both Jews and Gentiles in their relationship to the one who comes out of Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ, where he says, Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. 
See, this leads to God's advice to everyone. God has an advice for everyone in Psalm 2, 10 through 12, when he says, Be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled. Just a skoshi. <laughs> a little bit. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Even Balaam recognized this truth of Isaac's prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ when Balaam said in Numbers 24, 9, speaking about Israel, he coucheth, he laid down as a lion, as a great lion, who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that curseth him. What's it mean? God is a friend to the person who is a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is an enemy to the person who is an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, and thank you for using even Isaac in his anger, Lord, to give us the true prophecies about our wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. This Thursday at 6.30 p.m., we'll study aliens, UFOs, and what the Bible says about them and answer the question, are we alone? And what does God's Word say about close encounters of the fourth kind? Join us at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Call us, 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.